Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 158 called Nitty. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. The Receptiva DX test can help couples struggling with unexplained infertility. Getting pregnant isn't easy, as so many of you know. Many couples struggle with infertility, and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Women facing unsuccessful IVF may not know that endometriosis is the underlying cause, a disease that can impact the success rates of IVF treatments and often has no symptoms. The Receptiva DX test can help identify endometriosis before an embryo transfer, and it has the potential to save women the stress, anxiety, and cost of multiple failed IVF attempts. The good news is multiple studies show treatment of women with a positive Receptiva DX test improves live birth outcomes by over 50%. Receptiva DX can detect all stages of endometriosis and help women make better decisions in planning for pregnancy. You can learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally, and we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey. So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content. We're starting to do IRL events as well. And we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey. Yeah. Our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it. And our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect and create true lifelong friendships. We have members that are meeting up in real life. We have members that are supporting each other on Instagram. We have members that call each other best friends now. And honestly, like that is the most rewarding thing to see. We had no idea it would go here. And so we're just, we're inviting you to join the rally fam. Yeah. It's such a great space. It's a safe space. We also have fun when we can. So we would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertility rally. Hope to see you guys soon. All right, guys. So today we're talking to Nitty. She is an incredible woman. She is a preemie mama to three babies under the age of four. So she's going to tell us all about her very long, very difficult journey to having these three babies and how everybody is doing now. She's a fertility coach. She's a surrogacy warrior. She's an IVF warrior. She's a NICU mama. And she's a very open person who's going to tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything that she went through. So there's a lot here. It's a really good story. She touches on being part of the Indian community and how going through infertility in her community was different than she thought it would be and how that affected her and her journey. She's going to talk about depression and even having some suicidal thoughts at a certain point and how she and her husband got through that. She's going to talk about her many rounds of IVF and then she's going to talk about her babes. So without further ado, this is Nitty's infertility story. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. Excited to hear your story. So let's start where I usually start at the beginning, which is did you always want to be a mom? Yeah. Since I was a little kid, I remember my best friend at the time, I was 11, we were in middle school and like changing for gym and talking about our future careers. And I was like, well, I want to be a young mom and then I'll go to medical school. (laughs) She was like, that's ridiculous. Goals. Um, Yeah. So I guess motherhood was always a priority, even since I was a little kid. I have the most amazing mother. And I think I just really appreciated our bond from the youngest of days and wanted to be able to share that forward. So Mm -hmm. it was always something I wanted. Mm -hmm. Okay. So flashing forward a bunch, what happened as you got older and did you get married and all that good stuff? 
Yeah. Um, the married thing took a lot longer than I had hoped and planned, mm-hmm. as you know, is often the case. But even before I had gotten married, I had been, you know, visiting the OB and and just trying to understand my own health. And I knew I may run into some roadblocks. Um, I had uh, I had a potential diagnosis of adenomyosis, and there wasn't really a ton of research at the time on that. Anytime I asked if it would come in the way of fertility, they said there wasn't much research, but we could just wait and find out, which is, you know, when you're single and that's not on your radar for the next couple of years in terms of having kids, you're kind of like, okay, but it never sat too well with me. I always tried to keep on top of it, but continue to get to sim- a similar answer. Mm-hmm. Um, did they give you treatment for that or to, did you have to no. change like your lifestyle or anything like that? No, nothing. They're, they basically said there was nothing that could really be done. Again, there was not much that was known at the time. A little more is known now, but I still feel like it's this very gray area. And, you know, they put me on birth control, mm-hmm. which was fine. Um, How old were you when you went on birth control? I was older. I was in my mid twenties probably, but it was, that was their answer, right. To the pain and the heavy bleeding and all of that, that, that was their answer. That's such a common thing that I've found talking (laughs) to so many women, you know, it's just like, take, get on the pill. It'll be fine. And it it ends up just masking a bunch, a bunch of things, you know, it does. It does. I mean, I'm sure there are benefits, but there were also, I don't know. There's also consequences to it. And I think that's something that if it's not already being studied deeply, I think it should be, but it is, it is a common treatment um, even after the fact. So it, it always seems like birth control is the answer for so many things before becoming a mother, after becoming a mother, after even trying to become a mother. So it's fascinating to me. But yeah, I met my husband in my, my now husband in my early thirties, we got married fairly quickly and we knew, you know, we both knew going in being parents was a number one top goal for both of us Mm -hmm. at different reasons. I grew up in a house full of people. My dad was the first in his family to uh, move to this country. And so he brought his sisters and their families over one by one. And so I always had cousins in the house. Um, so it was me, my brother, and then a couple other people <laughs> um, at any given time when I was younger. And so I love that loud household. I love that there were multiple people in a house doing multiple different things. And so that that's what I always imagined growing up. And for my husband, on the other hand, as a very different story, he was an only child and wanted to have a plethora of children because he didn't really love being an only child. Mm. When you're a first generation American, having that kind of relation close to you Mm -hmm. is extremely helpful Mm -hmm. as you're navigating, you know, adolescence and all of those things. So for him, it was just one of those things. He was like, yeah, I want a a ton of kids. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that makes my uterus hurt, but I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were you first generation as well? I, yeah, I yeah. was for, I was born and raised here. My husband came over when he was one. Okay. Maybe. Where are your parents from? They're both from India. Okay. Both sets of parents are from India. Gotcha. So for me, it was kind of quick. I was like, oh, this guy's, this, this guy's it. Like he's the mm-hmm. real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, No, he doesn't pull any punches. And you know, when you're if you live in Manhattan and if you date it through Manhattan, you, you get it. You get the, the one that doesn't pull any punches is usually it. We got married within two years of starting to date and we started to have, trying to have kids right away. And it wasn't, you know, nothing was happening. So I went back to my doctor. I said, look, <laughs> I think we're at the point where we need to analyze whether this adenomyosis, potential adenomyosis, because at that point it still had not been firmly diagnosed, mm-hmm. is hindering my fertility or something else is up, like what's going on. It was this thing where I was like, you know, everybody said it shouldn't hinder your fertility, this adenomyosis, um, but it may, and we'll, we'll wait and see. I was like, I'm done waiting and seeing. I'd like to find out what's going on with my body. And mm-hmm. to her credit, she was like, look, let's get all the tests done. 
and I'm going to refer you to an FE. So you can just start asking him questions right off the bat. And she referred me to this amazing man. I was not certain that I wanted a male FE. And I think we were put in the best hands possible. And, you know, we we did all the tests. We had the hystericel pangogram. We had the water tests, everything um, under the moon. And mm-hmm. it turns out I had a host of issues. <laughs> you did. So what did they uncover? Uh, so not only did we ultimately find out that that was at, there was adenomyosis, but we didn't, that wasn't even confirmed until we found some of the other things. So I had seven polyps, seven uterine polyps, mm-hmm. an ovarian cyst. Mm-hmm. And at the time, mild to moderate endometriosis. Okay. So I had gone in to get my polyps removed and have further exploratory surgery where the adenomyosis was further diagnosed and the endome- that's when the endometriosis was diagnosed. After that surgery, I ended up and after going through, you know, a couple of more tests, we decided to start the IVF process, which I'll come back to in a moment. But mm-hmm. after starting the IVF process, I started developing what was believed up until recently to be a fibroid as well. Okay. So I like to say that my uterus was a little bit of a minefield. Yes. Oh. And- Were you in pain at all? Always in pain. Okay. I was constantly in pain during my cycle predominantly and, 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 you know, fast forwarding as I got older, it was off cycle as well. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, to my doctor's credit, he went in, he removed all the polyps, you know, got them tested, of course, um, to make sure they were benign, which thankfully they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was with my fertility and with my uterus, he was like a dog with a bone. Like he wanted to solve for everything mm-hmm. with the goal of my having children, of course, mm-hmm. or my, my being, I should say for my being able to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So we did, we did start IVF. We had the discussion of going IUI first. And with the number of issues that I had going on, we thought it might be best to just skip right to the IVF. And so that's what we did. Were you guys both on board? Was your husband... Okay yeah. with that? Or like, yeah. I know we're kind of breezing through a lot of this. What was going on with you emotionally? And like, how did it affect your relationship? Was it stressful up until this point? So I think I think we flip-flopped on the stress a lot. So mm-hmm. when I was stressed, he was really calm and hopeful and positive. And when he was stressed, I was really calm and hopeful and positive. Mm, that's good. At least in the beginning. Um, for him and, you know, to his credit, he did his due diligence as well. And he got all of his tests done and he didn't bat an eye. You know, I felt very lucky that he's one that likes to be very well educated on all things, including mm-hmm. the female body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the financial burden is the one that hit us both. Mm. So what was going on in terms of coverage and stuff? Did you guys have insurance that was covering? We had insurance that would cover one round up to like maybe 10K. And I was frustrated that my, you know, I felt that feeling of why is my body not doing what it's supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Or why, you know, why is it difficult. Like, why does this have to be difficult? All yeah. the other things have been difficult. Like, why does this one thing, can right. this so one thing just how, be easy? Sorry to interrupt, but how old were you at this point? Like um, when all when this we was going? started getting testing done, I was 33. And I think I overall wasn't, aside from one breakdown I had with my sister-in-law, I think I was kind of gung-ho. I was really of the mindset of, if this is what's going to get me children, then let's do it. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't, it was the thought of why do I have to go through this was very brief. Like that, that breakdown was all that I needed, which is not like me. I'm an incredibly emotional person. Um, mm-hmm. So it, for me, that was for some reason, all that I felt I needed. And then I was excited. And in my mind, I felt as though I had convinced myself that I would need more than one round. In my head, we would need two rounds of IVF. Why did you think um, with, that? I have no idea. I 
I do really well with second rounds of things <laughs> in general. And so I was like, oh, that's probably how this is going to go. The endometriosis was uh, what I like to say, holding my left ovary hostage. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so it was like tied back behind my uterus. And, you know, the the doctors with a sense of humor got my joke, but others didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I but, like it. Thank you. <laughs> but, but for that reason, after my first round, they weren't able to retrieve the eggs from that ovary. So I only got half of the eggs I had produced. We did do a transfer with the um, with the healthy embryos that we received. We got them tested, but the transfer did not work. So did you transfer did, more than one? I transferred two, mm-hmm. and neither stuck. Mm, and then I'm we so did. Sorry. Yeah, that was a fresh transfer, and so we tried a frozen. Mm-hmm. And then we f- did a frozen with just one to see if it made a difference, and that also did not work. Mm. And so, so how did that feel like, when you had those transfers that didn't work? Oh, awful. It was, it felt as though we had lost something that we never actually had. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard to describe. It was hard to describe to my family, you know, who I am incredibly close to and friends who weren't going through the process. Most of my friends already had children, had multiple mm-hmm. children at yeah. this point. And so it was really hard to explain to them the heartache of something that wasn't, and it still isn't. It's just because that's the way they look at it. They're like, well, you know, it's not like you were pregnant. And there was still the same hope, right? Because you've gotten so far into the process in terms of you have healthy embryos, Mm -hmm. you're you know, your uterus is primed to become pregnant as primed as possible through all the meds. And it's, you just feel like, okay, well, this is, you know, it may not work, but it's supposed to technically. And as somebody who grew up with uh, a family that's very deeply steeped in science and practicality, that, that didn't sit well for me. It just, Mm -hmm. that, that was frustrating, but I didn't want to let myself get too down. I would take a day. I would weep. I would go through boxes of tissues. My husband, you know, he may kill me for saying this, but he would weep right alongside of me. But it's, you know, it was, it was hard to, it was harder to say, okay, on to the next than I had expected. And so, I wanted to go right away. So we actually went really aggressively with our next round. Um, We did not wait too long. I think I maybe waited one cycle in between, if that, Mm -hmm. um, after our last transfer. Um, I think we got up in the double digits that time, which was, you know, much better than what we had done round one. Um, And you get so hung up on the numbers, right? You're like, how many... On Instagram, comparing yourself to people and all that stuff, or no? Nobody was on Instagram talking about this back then, at least okay. how I felt. Like nobody, um, I couldn't, I didn't find anybody that yeah, was. Same with me when I was going through it, but this was, you know, seven, eight years ago now. Yeah, it was just so one of those things now. where I'm like, people aren't. And I also wanted to be really careful about that. So I compared to the people that I knew. <laughs> But I also was like obsessed with my follicle length, you know, like, so for the second round, I was like, I need all the pictures. I need the list of follicle lengths. Like I needed all of the things I needed the ultrasound text to not talk to me. Like I was a patient, like, I'm like, tell me all the big words. Um, <laughs> I needed to know everything. Right. I was, um, yeah, that makes sense. Just, I needed all that information. That's the only thing that was soothing to me. Like, I obviously couldn't control any of it to a degree, to many degrees, um, but I could like keep on top of where I was and manage my own expectations. We didn't get as many healthy embryos as I would have liked, but we had some. And so I think we had like another five that round. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, great. We had five that round, which was great. Yeah. I'm like, okay, add this. At the sin, and we really wanted to do, you know, we really wanted twins. We wanted a, you know, one and done kind of situation in terms of pregnancies or going through IVF again and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. So we were like, this is good because we can continue to 
keep trying to transfer to. And they were okay with transferring to? I know some clinics just won't do it. Yeah, they were. They were, there was a little bit of a concern um, that came into play much further down the line, which was the length of my cervix. Mm. So another one of my favorite medical terms is an incompetent cervix. Yes, (laughs) Um, exactly. This is awful. It's like, Um, that always reminds me of when I'm on like a Zoom call and it says my internet is unstable, (laughs) like unstable internet. I'm like, yes, I know. I know exactly (laughs) what you're going through internet. But lo and behold, none of the transfers from the second round worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we went through three transfers. Oh my gosh. Um, this is frozen. so much. Like, I know it sounds, you know, when you're talent recalling it, it's like, and then three transfers, but that's like month after month after month and heartache and all that. So I'm so sorry that you went through all this. Thank you. It was, it was one of those things where I just felt like if I kept going, it was going to happen. Like I just, mm-hmm. and you know, I, in the book that I'm working on, I call myself the queen of round twos. And like, I really stood by that. I'm like, no, I do well with round twos. Like this is going to work. Like it mm-hmm. has to. And in the meantime, I'm, you know, going to, I'm working all day. I'm going to grad school at night in a really aggressive program. And I'm not putting the pieces together of what the stress is doing to my body. And I just didn't want to stop. It was almost like an addiction, like Mm -hmm. the getting, you know, going through transfer after transfer almost felt like an addiction, like I needed to do it. That's so interesting. And you're not the first person who said that on this podcast, which is also so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You get like this tunnel vision. It was, it's almost... I mean, I don't want to say it in a way because obviously like I wanted children from like, you know, the deepest parts of my soul. It was the one job that I've never wavered on having, which is being a mother. And it's, you know, I've changed my career a billion times at this point, but that's the one thing that never, ever changed. And it's like, okay, I have this goal almost. And that's, I think, where my mindset started to become my worst enemy. And again, I think that we have control over very little of this journey in terms of 100%. how one becomes apparent. And so um, I don't mean this in like a self-blame kind of way, but I don't think it was helpful either because I just felt like it was my goal. Like I, my goal was to become pregnant. My goal was to be as normal as possible. I never fit in. I never fit the mold of what I thought I was supposed to be or what I was told I was supposed to be or what, you know, my community expected me to be or what I thought they expected me to be. I just felt like I never fit. And I was always trying things that were wildly different and undone within my community. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I ended up actually like, it's funny because I joke, I'm like, I actually married I never thought I would marry an Indian guy. Like mm. I never thought. Or an Why do you think that? that? Because I thought I was just too different. I wasn't the doctor or the lawyer mm. or the business person. I wasn't the skinny, smooth haired, you know, right. petite little Indian girl. I didn't look like most of my friends okay. growing up, um, whether I was at school, which was a very Caucasian school. Um, I didn't look like any of my friends from school, from my family friend circle. I didn't look like any of my family friends. From a family perspective, I wasn't as deeply rooted in the culture. I appreciated the culture. I continue to appreciate the culture and my traditions, but I wasn't as deeply rooted. I didn't have to participate in every dance. I didn't have to be, like my goal was, I always wanted to be the best of things, but my goal was never to be like, the best at things, if that makes sense. So wait, let me ask you this in terms of the, your Indian community, was this, you know, going through IVF is that, did you get any kind of like blowback from anybody in that? Or like you said, you know, you were used to kind of bucking the system as it were, like in terms of other things, like, did did you get any feedback that rubbed you the wrong way or anybody in your family kind of looked down upon it? I don't know that anybody looked down upon it. My bigger fear was 
that the thought, the prevailing thought might be, oh, of course it's going to be difficult for her, you know, because I had done difficult things. I had, you know, walked out of optometry school orientation to work for a soap opera. I, I did things that were not done by people that I knew or grew up with. And because I had no roadmap, um, I got married in my 30s as opposed to in my 20s. Like these are bigger, these felt like bigger deals because that's not what I was seeing with the people Mm -hmm. around me, right? But you do, you feel like a failure when you're going through it and you're not, you're so focused. So we ultimately, you know, did a third round and that's where I broke So what happened? What was the breaking point? Like what was, how did that manifest in you? What did it look like to be broken? It was bad. So after our first transfer with the third round, with that not working, I, something triggered me. I can't remember if it was like a phone call or if it was a conversation with my husband who was and is the most supportive person I've ever met in my entire life. And so if it was the conversation with him, I know he meant no ill will, but I just felt like I was failing everybody. So round three for me was the most difficult. It was the one where I felt incredibly defeated. And what I wish, what I wish somebody had told me, and if they did tell me, I wish what I would have heard Mm -hmm. um, before I started going through IVF in general is like, make sure that you are in a 100% good place mentally, physically, emotionally, Mm -hmm. spiritually. I really, and, you know, maybe I thought that I was, I I was so gung-ho about my, you know, my first two rounds that maybe I I was in a, a pretty mental, a pretty solid mental place, but I never really took inventory of what my expectations were and what my limits were. And I really, really wish I had a friend who had gone through it all to say, listen, the stuff takes a toll and it'll be a bigger toll on you than you realize. So make sure you're good. Give yourself a little give. And the thing is anyone and everybody, I was just coaching. um, I just got my fertility coaching certificate and I was just coaching a friend actually. And you know, she's in her forties and she's like, well, we're just, I, she's like, I just, I, I just want to move. I just want to do it now. And I was mm-hmm. like, I 100% get it. I think that is the most natural course of, um, emotions when you are working so hard to build your family, um, is to just go, go, go. Like time is against us. And I, I really wish I had weighed the degree to which the medications and the situation could affect me mentally and put some sort of coaching practice or therapy in place prior to starting. So by round three, it was very much to the point where I felt beyond defeated. I Mm -hmm. felt worthless. I felt as though nothing I did was right. Like I, I, kept trying to do all of these things that seemed so easy or at least easier for everybody else in my life. And and maybe I wasn't supposed to have the things that I wanted the most in the world. And Mm, that to me was like the, that hit really hard. And what hit harder was that I felt like I was disappointing people, specifically my spouse. Um, Right. I think so many of us feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, you know, you're not in this journey alone. At least I wasn't. And so there was my disappointment and then my fear of disappointing this man who had like stood by me through all of this. And granted, didn't always say the right things, uh, but was always there, right? Like was Mm -hmm. always there for me. And, um, And this vision of a life that we had built together, we had, you know, that had unified us to begin with. Um, That that was the scariest thing for me. And so I definitely, there were suicidal thoughts and tendencies that had started to come about in 
in the third round and and that were very real um that were that were very present and that shook me very deeply shook me to my core in terms of the things i would say or do or feel and it wasn't until my husband also in round 3 and this all progressed very quickly but my husband at one of my more frightening points and lowest points came out and I think we had just had an argument too. Like, I think I, you know, just to basic, like, I can't do anything more than I've been doing. And, you know, I appreciate you supporting me, but like, I don't know how much more I can do. Like one of those kinds of arguments where it's not really an argument, it just turns into one. Right. Um, right. right? You're just like, <laughs> like, they're not saying anything negative towards you, but it's like, you put all of this pressure on yourself and you feel like you're failing. And so everything feels like it's a judgment towards you, even when it's not, even when it's like, honestly, just support. Yeah. I know what you mean. You know? And it's like, I don't, I'm like, I stopped eating cheese, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm not eating inflammatory like, foods. I'm doing all the things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and totally. And like, so I what happened? Had, how did, like, how did you deal with that? And how did you guys yeah. get through that really dark time? It was, um, honestly, he said the right thing at the right time. And that, that was all I needed, which was to me right now, I think of that and I'm like, well, how, how is that all that I needed? But it was, it was all that I needed to hear. And all mm-hmm. I needed to hear in that moment, which I didn't know mm-hmm. was when he came to me and he said to me, you know, you're more than just your uterus to me, like you growing a child, you know, is, is not what's going to make or break us. Like that doesn't matter to me. There's a thousand different ways to be a family and we already are one, you know? And that's something that I feel as though would have been good to keep in the back of my mind throughout the first three rounds. But what, like we get so, so focused on the pregnancy part that we forget the goal is to have a child. Mm -hmm. And those two things are not synonymous. Yes. In some way, shape or form they are, but you're specifically getting pregnant is not synonymous to you having a child. And as much as those realities are present and you know them, I, I don't think I fully had digested the idea of, my never getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Like, and, but that was the way it was looking. We had great looking embryos. We, I mean, we had a ton that weren't, but we had a handful that were really healthy and they were still not sticking to me. We had gone through multiple transfers. I could not do more than I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the point that we decided that we have all the fixings currently minus some cash, but otherwise we have all of the fixings for us to have children in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. So like, let's stop limiting ourselves. Okay. Um, and that was on him. That was him. That was him saying like, this is like, it is a big deal, but it's not a big deal. Like it's not, it's not, all you are to me. Like you are not like you are worth so much more than that to me. So like wonderful that not only that he said it, but that it also resonated with you. Cause I feel like sometimes when we're depressed, it's hard for someone to get through and say something that can kind of make us change course. But it sounds like it was like the right time, the right thing to say and all that. So, okay. Tell me what happened next. Yeah. Well, we had a full on discussion right that night, that night we had a full on discussion about what this looked like and how we would feel and would we be disappointed? And what if that didn't work? Like, would we be okay? And, you know, something that my husband just brought up recently, we were at, um, we saw friends over the weekend and something he said to another friend of mine was, you know, we, at the end of the day, like looked at each other and said, if it does end up being just us, and maybe a dog, like, would we be okay with that? Like, mm-hmm. are we okay in this unit that we've already created? Right. And the answer at that moment, in that moment was yes, yeah. we are. Yep. Right. And so that helped take some weight off of me um, and off of him. We started our a surrogacy journey from that point forward. We talked to our FE 
And we said, look, like, this is where we're going. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how, but this is, this is the next step for us. Um, but we need some guidance. And right. so our Effie was still kind of like, I, I swear I can get you pregnant. Like, I promise you, like, I know I like, he just had this like utmost faith and he's the sweetest man in the whole world. But I was kind of like, you can't guarantee that like if anybody knows that it's you right but he was like I just he's like I just have a feeling that I know I know you can get pregnant and I'm like that's cool but I like emotionally and mentally can't do it anymore and he was very respectful of that he's like that I totally get and he's like if this is how you want to go like I have people you can talk to I have an agency I would recommend I have because at that point we you couldn't do transfers my doctor was in New York at that time you couldn't do you couldn't I don't remember if you couldn't have a surrogate at all or you couldn't have a paid surrogate I think it was you couldn't have a paid surrogate Mm -hmm. in New York so he was like I have an agency for you in New Jersey I have um, a doctor for you in Connecticut like he hooked us up with who he felt was the best of the best in these situations Mm -hmm. and we said you know he was like do you know anybody that would carry for you altruistically and I you know, I said I had a hope because somebody had said it to me in the course of a failed transfer when I was like at my worst and another distant relative of ours was across the table, like announcing her pregnancy. And I had just failed the transfer and like, you know, just the tears just started coming and another relative had offered to carry for me. They're like, I'll carry for you if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that that comment was in vain. Um, it was. So I had hoped that I could have somebody in my family carry for me. But the truth of the matter is I fall into a really weird age for my family. My, um, my, the women in my family that I'm closest to are either much older or much younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was already in my mid to late thirties at this point. So it was one of those things where that was not a reality and we had to go with an agency or we chose to go with an agency as opposed to looking at like an independent surrogate. And we, because we had at that point, we only had two embryos left in the freezer, two or three at that point. And we knew that a lot of times when you have a surrogate, it doesn't happen the first time around. Like Mm -hmm. the first transfer may not work. We wanted to make sure that we were stopped. We didn't want to have to stop to go through another round. Right. And so we did a fourth round strictly for the sake of this, you know, mythical surrogate that we did not have at the time. And we did a fourth round. We got maybe a couple of more embryos, nothing, no big numbers, which is what I was really hoping for. As my healthy embryos didn't stick to me, part of me felt like it was me. Part of me felt like there was maybe something wrong with the embryos that we didn't know about. But, you know, we had all the genetic testing done and all of that. So part of me wasn't just fully trusting in the whole scenario. Um, And when my third round of, uh, sorry, when my fourth round of IVF came back with only a few healthy embryos that made it to the freezer, I lost it. I remember meeting my husband at like a Whole Foods that was halfway between our apartment and his job (laughs) and um, like meeting him in like the vegetable aisle and like, just like, crying this most disgusting set of Mm -hmm. snotty tears and I'm like no like they're gonna kick me out of Whole Foods because like nobody's gonna want to buy vegetables next to the snotty woman I'm contaminating all the goods (laughs) yeah yeah so um thank god this was like pre-covid otherwise they really would have like kicked my butt to the curb right but you know I was just I was so lost and we had already started the process with this agency, but the process when you sign on with the circus, the agency is incredibly long. So I was just like crying in the aisle, like this is never going to happen. We're never going to find anybody, blah, blah, blah. And we got an email at that moment from the agency saying, guess what? We actually found somebody for you within Mm -hmm. weeks of us signing up. So, wow. Yeah. So it ended up going very quickly. And um, I mean, quickly for that, it was still like four or five months before we could do anything. But, you know, we, we put the wheels in place, right? Wheels in motion right away and, and 
started to get everything done. Mm-hmm. Um, we love, we loved her. We had some questions. There were definitely some red flags. And I would say if anybody's going through the surrogacy journey or a gestational carriership journey, like make note of the red flags, listen to your gut and ask questions because we had a number of red flags and some we asked questions about, which helped us feel more comfortable with the red flags and kind of took those flags down. Others we didn't. And that, you know, and that may have caused an issue down the line, but I would say, ask all the questions. When we got the wheels turning, we were at the point where we were like signing this like frightening 40 page contract that pretty much put us in responsibility monetarily and all other ways for her body and her life and her things. Um, And there's just a lot of money exchanging hands. So it's a very bizarre situation. But I remember signing this contract in April. I was in finals for grad school or like prepping for finals for grad school, like signing this contract and like crying. And I actually confided to my professor. I'm like, I can't make it to class today because I just signed this contract. It was a law class. He understood. Um, (laughs) But he was like, it was a business law class. And he knew, he actually, he was the only professor who knew what I was going through at the time. So he was completely understanding. He's like, I'm like, I cannot drive to class. Like I can't. Right. I went out on like a bender that night. I'm not even going to lie. Like I was just, I was so, I'm like, this is our last, this feels like our last resort. Um, so I went out on like a bender with my girlfriends who I hadn't oh drank in years. In years, really? I hadn't gone out drinking. Yeah. Like I'd have a glass of wine here or there, but like the girls that I, you know, spent my twenties in the city right. with, you went out right? with a, like a mission. I went out like, like, yeah, I, was, I just up. texted one of them. I'm like, yeah, I was totally, I'm like, um, I need to get wrecked tonight. Who's with me? And they were all like, oh my God, this never happens. We're all going. So my mm-hmm. husband was nice enough to like drive me out to the city. We were in Jersey by then. Drive me out to the city <laughs> and like, just watch me as I like, like just plied martini after <laughs> martini. Um, and it was like a Wednesday night. I don't even know. It was just really random and not, it was completely out of, you know, character for me. Um, but yeah, so that happened and I felt like this weight off me as much as I cried about it. I also felt like, wow, the ball is no longer in my court. Like Mm -hmm. I no longer have any responsibility for what happens in terms of this child growing, Mm -hmm. like this child coming into the world. It is not on my shoulders. And that was so ultimately freeing as frightening as all the rest of it was that part was ultimately freeing um we were starting to get ready for our carriers transfer yeah and i was in the middle of this was like my last set of finals for grad school i was in the middle of finals we're getting ready for her transfer all of these things and i kind of like was like huh my period's late oh these drugs are still in me blah 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 and a week later my period was still late Oh my God. And granted in the middle, I got a little suspicious, but I'm like, no, like, let's not do this to ourselves. Like, Mm -hmm. let me not get excited because that test is always negative. And also now would not be the right time. And sure enough, like lo and behold, I was pregnant. Wow. Um, So, you know, say about that what you will, but um, now I had this bizarre journey happening in tandem of my pregnancy, which I didn't trust at all because I didn't trust my body. My body didn't do anything for me with the most like insane protocols. Like my doctor was like a dog with a bone. He was like, I'm going to figure out how to make this work. (laughs) And like, even then I couldn't get pregnant. So I didn't trust my body, not Mm -hmm. the slightest bit. We went forward with the transfer because I saw like we hadn't, there was no heartbeat or anything. It was really early when I found out. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, I, I don't trust this at all. First rounds of transfers sometimes don't work. We are already like monetarily obligated. And that was a big thing. So like, we're just going to move forward. And then lo and behold, she did not get pregnant the same day that we got the, we found out that she wasn't pregnant the same day that I got the genetics back on my daughter um, that, that it was going to be a girl mm-hmm. and that the genetics had come back clean. And I was like, Whoa. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So we told the carrier because she was like heartbroken that she wasn't pregnant. We told her, we're like, don't be, because this has happened. And I don't really know what to do with it, but I'm like, you're still part of our story. 
really like long, long story short, I actually ended up going into preterm labor at 25 weeks. So my instincts were either correct or I willed it into existence. I don't know. But um, I went into labor a little over 25 weeks is when I had my daughter and she was very sick. She was born septic. Um, Her white blood cell counts were in the 90,000s. And, you know, one of the doctors had told me like, I, you know, for whatever it's worth, just start planning her funeral now. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. She was was very sick. sick. And, you know, and that other doctors said no such thing. It was just this one doctor's opinion, but it weighed on me so much. And I was like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And so we kept the surrogate as part of our story. And we started to move forward with her a few months in. Once our daughter that was in the NICU was doing better, but she wasn't out of the woods. She would need surgery by the time she hit four pounds and she was born a pound and a half. So that took some time. Um, she was unable to eat anything even then. Like they couldn't even give her my breast milk that I pumped. They couldn't give her formula or anything because she had a web and that needed. So that that's extremely dangerous. So she needed surgery for that. So we just didn't know what was going to happen. And so we gave our surrogate the green light, knowing very well that if, we move forward with the surrogate, our children would be just about maybe slightly less a year apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the math of it, we transferred two embryos because that you had a better chance of one taking. And lo and behold, as our daughter in the NICU started to really thrive in many ways, there were definitely a lot of setbacks still. Um, we found out that our carrier had gotten pregnant with both. So we had twins on the line. So exciting, Um, but wild, right? It was extremely frightening. I'm not going to lie. I was like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Mm -hmm. Because as my daughter got better in many ways, one of the things that she still wasn't doing was eating. And so we were looking at like her having a feeding tube, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, not anything that we had ever known how to handle. And so we were scared and excited and just praying for a healthy pregnancy for our surrogate. And that ended up not being the case. Uh, and so, which is a whole other story, but lo and behold, we ended up with three 25 weekers in our life. My daughter that I carried and my son and my daughter that our surrogate carried halfway wow. from the country. Um, wow. And we just realized then like, you know, we just realized that we are so much more capable of getting through the hard things than we give ourselves credit for. And I mean, I think you just have to go through your own journeys to learn that, but Mm -hmm. it's also something good to remember as we hit, you know, different hardships along the way, as we struggle to catch them up to their milestones, as they start catching up and we're trying to catch up with them because we, we haven't been in that mindset. So, right. Um, so how is everybody doing now? So my oldest that I carried is going to turn four in a few days. Okay. Um, she's good. She has a feeding tube still, but we've been working really hard at weaning her off of it. She is, um, yeah. So she's a trooper and she's super smart. And I know all parents say that about their kids, but (laughs) she is, I comment. She has these little glasses. (laughs) Um, and my son and my daughter, the twins are both they're both doing well on different scales. My twin girl, nobody, you know, nobody gave her the memo that she was a preemie. Um, <laughs> she was kind of, she was like off oxygen at 32 weeks. She has a heart condition that we keep monitoring, which is frightening, but she is a powerhouse. I mean, this That's girl, awesome. yeah, she's extremely stubborn, which will suit her well in the future and drives me crazy right now. But all I wanted was for my kids to be healthy enough to drive me absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. And my sweet boy had the most catching up to do. He, we had the most fears with him. We lost him, um, almost lost him almost three times while he was in the NICU. So we had those scary phone calls and had to fly back to Texas, but, um, he's catching up and he's just, he's so sweet and just wants to be loved on. He has a feeding tube as well. Okay. He's a little further down on the process because obviously he's younger, but he slightly, slightly younger, but he's, he's made so much progress. We had a nurse here with us 
yesterday and mm-hmm. she had been with him in the early, early days. And she was just like, I like, she cheered up. She's like, I'm just so proud of how far he's come. Like he's strong and mm-hmm. he's like walking and, you know, he's trying to eat and like, he just, he, he's so he wants to be a part of all the things. And I think yeah. that's, what's going to drive him to catch right. up um, right. eventually. So he, he's just really, he's so willing to like be the loving one and wants so desperately to be a part of all the things. So I'm hoping that those two things help get him to where he's going to be, but it's not for a lack of, you know, 15 therapies a week and things like that, that we've been yeah. doing over the last two years. You've got a, lo- a kind of a long road ahead in, in various yeah. regards, right? But what a badass yeah. mama you are and everything that you've been through. Thank you. I don't feel that way half the days, but I am very proud of how far they've come. And I am, when I look back on our story, I just hope it gives people hope, but more than anything, I hope it gives them the strength to realize that, you know, there's so much that we are capable of getting through. We just have to give ourselves a lot of grace. Thank you all for listening. And thank you so much to Nitty for sharing her story. You can follow her on Instagram at updates from downtown. And we hope she and her family are doing well and continuing to thrive. So thanks again, guys, for listening. And don't forget to check out Fertility Rally, which is open the first week of every month. And we are a membership community. As you know, we just started a Sunday support group. So now we have three support groups every week that as a member, you're welcome to come to and spill your guts and vent and cry and laugh and all the things. It's an incredible family. Everybody is welcome, no matter what you're going through, no matter what stage you're at, even if you're not in treatment. Some people say, do I have to be going through IVF? Absolutely not. You can be at the beginning of your TTC journey. You can be just somebody who's interested in this world. Everybody is welcome. We just want to help and support people and be your biggest cheerleaders. So check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertilityrally. And I will talk to you guys next time.